Good morning to, to each one of you. The Lord has blessed us with a, a very beautiful day, and, and I think we're all anticipating a, a beautiful time together here as, as God's children. It's been a blessing to me in this short time already uh, here this morning that twice, uh, not quite word for word, but the, the main idea the the title of the message was was mentioned twice already out here in this little room as we as leaders were gathering together and committing this service to the Lord and and in Joanne's testimony again uh, the title of the message this morning is expressing deep gratitude to Jesus for his life-giving blood I think as as we focus on all that Jesus has done and all it means to us as sinful human beings, the only proper response is deep gratitude. You know, that life-giving blood that enables you and I to experience eternal life, eternal life forever, that is something to be deeply grateful for. I think one of the ways we can express our, our deep gratitude to Jesus is to gather together like this and commune together to remember his death and suffering. You know, we're commanded to remember his death. This do in remembrance of me, Jesus told us. You know, we have early church examples. The, the early church, it's said of them that they were steadfast in doctrine and fellowship, breaking bread and prayer in Acts 2.42. Other places we read how they would get together in one accord and break bread with each other. I think failure to commune or or failing to deal with uh, the things that disqualify us to, to partake in a communion service like this, I think uh, is a sign of, of ungratefulness on, on our part as God's people. This morning, I want to, to remind us that we can remind ourselves of Jesus' precious blood and what it provides us with and then that we can respond back to him with, with deep gratitude. If you would turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. The text verse would be verse 12. We'll read that and then we'll start back at the beginning of the chapter and read a number of verses Colossians 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul here is praying uh, or, or telling the, the Colossian church that we need to be giving thanks unto the Father for meeting the needs or, or qualifying us to be partakers 
of the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's begin reading at, at verse 1 and, and try to get the setting here a bit. Uh, the, the church at Colossae had some of the same struggles that many of the churches of that time period had. They had this, this Jew and Gentile tension as the Jewish people who were known as God's people for years and thousands of years and, and then the Gentiles who were it was kind of a new thing for them to come in and, and be uh, children of God alongside the Jews and, and bringing in uh, things that, that the Jewish people weren't quite comfortable with. And to, to work all this out, there were, there were tensions there at times. And then there was false teaching. And we can assume that along with false teaching were false teachers and deceived people. And Paul is reminding this church of who they were before they came to Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them and who they are through Jesus' shed blood. So let's begin reading at verse 1 of Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, Wherefore ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn 
from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. We'll stop reading there. We want to look at, starting at verse 12, here Paul is calling the church at Colossae to, to be grateful for being qualified to, to partake in his inheritance. I remember many years ago, uh, I was at SMBI, and one of the teachers used this example for that scripture, for this scripture we're looking at here this morning. And he said, we are square pegs, and Jesus wants to put us in a round hole, and we don't fit. A square peg does not fit in a round hole. So we must allow Jesus to reshape us, to remake us, so that we fit. In, in Romans 8, we, uh, we see this, uh, a similar thought. Romans 8 verse 29 says this, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We, as people of God, need to be conformed, shaped to the image of Jesus in order to, to fit, to be part of the family of God. He goes on in verse 13 and talks about deliverance from the power of Satan. And in order not to be uh, listed as a false teacher, I will say that Satan blinds and Jesus shines. <laughs> and those of you from the chapel know what that's about. Uh, Sonny had an excellent sermon uh, just last Sunday, and, and in the closing, I got it all mixed up. But Satan blinds, and, and Jesus shines. And that is, is exactly how it works. And that's how you and I experience life. When we follow Satan's lead, we, we stumble and we fall. When, when we follow Jesus, there's light for our pathway and things go much better. Thinking of the power of Satan, uh, you know, we sing that song, Rock of Ages. And in that song, there's a phrase, the double cure. 
Somebody tell me, what is the double cure? From guilt and power. We all know what it's like to to experience that load of guilt. We, We have done wrong. We have sinned. And we feel a very, very heavy burden. And the the load becomes unbearable. That is guilt. That's a God-given feeling, I think. So that we as human beings deal with sin. God sends guilt. And he cleanses us from that guilt when, when when we... confess to him that that load, that sin. And we have all experienced the joy and the lightheartedness that, that comes with a burden being lifted. And we can go on our way rejoicing for the cure of that guilt. The power of sin in our lives. You know, we, we know what that's like too where we just try and try and try, and we just keep failing and failing. Paul, in in Romans chapter 6, describes this very well, uh, starting at verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. That's what it means to to have that double cure, that power of sin uh, removed from our lives. That doesn't mean sin never happens, but it means it does not control all that we think, all that we do. This morning, as we go through this service, let's have deep gratitude in our hearts for that double cure. The guilt and the sin no longer has to burden our hearts down, but we can, we can have joy and peace in, in our lives. In the next verse here, uh, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I'm not sure what all was going through Paul's mind when he spoke of redemption there, you know, you and I are, are quite far removed from the, the slave system. We, we read about it and we, we understand it, but we have not even come close to experiencing it in, in the physical sense. You know, 150, 200 years ago, everybody here in our country knew all too well, even though they may not have experienced it personally, they saw it, they heard about it, they knew people that 
that were slaves. And, and in Paul's day, it was a well-understood system. And he may well have been thinking of that when he wrote here about redemption. Even though uh, people that were very familiar with the slave system understood redemption, what it meant for someone to be bought back, a slave owner that had maybe a slave that he, he really liked, but be, because of financial reasons had to sell and was longing for the day he could buy that slave back. Or sometimes there were family members that, would, that were free and had slave uh, family members that they were trying to buy back. And there were, there were a few of those noble characters that went about life, raising money and trying to free as, as many slaves as they possibly could. But here we're talking about someone who is giving their blood, giving their life, in order to redeem, not just their savings, not just some money, but giving their very own blood, their very own life, in order to redeem another. That is a whole different thing. That is an altogether different level of commitment. Even the forgiveness of sins. It's one thing to set someone free, but to, to wipe away their sins, their wrongdoings, their failure to live up to, to God's laws and God's expectations, to just erase that from off a person's record is something to be deeply grateful for. As we go on here in First Colossians Verses 15 through 19 go through a series of explanations of who Jesus is and how he is uniquely qualified to be that perfect sacrifice that will redeem all humankind. I don't think we'll, we'll spend a lot of time on these, but it's just one thing after another how God the Father has given Jesus the preeminence, the high, the lofty position, has put everything in his control. And he would lay all that aside to come down to earth, to live here with the restrictions of a human body, and then die the most cruel death that human beings could imagine to put a, another human being through. And he was willing to do that for us. You know, I had to think sometimes, you know, ignorance can be helpful. Uh, I would expect, depending what health issues Dan Freed here would face, uh, it could frighten him because he knows more about what's going on. I could face some health issues and ignorance could maybe be a blessing because I really don't know how bad it really is and so therefore I'm not as worried as I ought to be. Jesus, he made the human body. He knew 
what pain was all about. He knew how the human body was designed to experience pain. He knew exactly how much pain he was going to have to endure. He knew everything. He knew it all. And it looked big to him. We can see that in the garden as he struggled. He knew exactly what lie ahead. There was no ignorance there. He knew how badly it would hurt. But he did it. He did it for you and for me. Picking up at verse 20. Verse 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross. This this word, having made peace, is, is one Greek word, and it's the only place it's used in Scripture, is, is right here. It's a word that means uh, to harmonize, a peacemaker, making a situation where seems everything is wrong, to just make everything right. And then the, the next word there, by him to reconcile, is, is a, a similar idea. And there's, the word reconcile is used throughout Scripture, but here in Colossians and one place in Ephesians, this particular Greek word is used, and it has, it has a little uh, prefix on it. And that prefix means fully, completely. He's talking here in verse 20 about things in earth and things in heaven. Now I'll be right up front. I don't understand what all he's talking about there. It would seem like maybe it had something to do with sin coming into the world and, and how that changed a lot of things that, that were not uh, that way from the beginning at creation. But I, I, don't, I don't understand what all that would be. But something through the work of Christ made harmony and peace out of things that were chaotic. In verse 21, it comes down to us as individuals. And it says that we have been reconciled. The idea is that we are changed fully and completely from what we were to what we are. Sinners changed into saints. He describes here a bit what that's all about. You were aliens. An alien is someone who, who is away from where they belong. They're, they don't belong where they are. And he says, you were enemies. An enemy is someone who is hateful and hostile, is, is an adversary. He's saying that's who you were. But through Jesus' blood, now you are holy. 
You're unblemished, unreprovable. The word unreprovable has the idea that they can't even bring a charge against you. They can't even blame you for being uh, blemished. There's nothing there. You know, you would have to think of a man like Daniel where people set out to find fault and couldn't find any. That's what we're talking about here, except this is talking about not man's view, but God's view. God is saying he looks on us as blameless. Blameless. How can God look at you and I, the sinful human beings we are, and see us as blameless? It's because of his righteousness. It's because of his shed blood. It has nothing to do with who we are. It has everything to do with who he is and his provision for us. We sang that song earlier uh, in the service. I think it was the opening song, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. Two wonders. What are the two wonders? Beneath the cross of Jesus, there's two wonders. Somebody tell me, what are they? Okay, God's great love, his glorious love, and our unworthiness. It's not what we've done, it's what God has done. I think another way that we can deeply express our gratitude to God is to confess those two wonders. God's glorious love and our unworthiness. To agree with God that his love is glorious and that we are totally unworthy. One has to think of the publican. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Not even raising his eyes to heaven, but flat on his face before Almighty God. I hope this time together here this morning, as we've reminded ourselves of the significance of Jesus' shed blood stirs within each heart here a deep gratitude to God. You know, God, with patience and care and great love, took square pegs, you and I, and shaped and molded us so that we can fit into the family of God. And that should bring deep gratitude from our hearts to Jesus for doing that. I've asked a group to to sing for us this morning the song, How Beautiful. Uh, That song has been a blessing to my life for a number of years, and I always thought it would fit so well with the communion service, but I kind of hated to ask somebody to learn it. And then at the last couple weddings, uh, it's been sung. And I thought, well, they've already learned it. Why not have them sing it? So 
Uh, if you could come and, uh, and sing that song, uh, we would all be deeply grateful. And I apologize for this. You would believe up front here you'd recognize people, but I can't find my wife. Uh, where is she back there? Okay, God bless you.